Good morning. Great to see you. Glad we can be together and what a privilege it is to be able to worship God. What a privilege it is to be here today and how thankful I am the AC is working. So anyway, it's uh, good that we can be here and we have some that aren't with us today who are sick and not uh, feeling well. So do keep them in your prayers. And when we were in class, my phone kept going. Bzz, bzz, bzz. I couldn't know what was going on, but Two of them were from Zelda, and she was getting up, getting ready to go. She even said she listened to Phil Sanders. She's on some new medication. She said she set her alarm just to take just a little bit of a nap, and she said her new medication's got her stomach messed up today. So uh, you might reach out to her later and tell her how much we missed her. I know um, she did have plans to be with us today. You know, we've been looking in 1 Timothy, and I love the study of 1 Timothy, 2 Timothy, and Titus mainly because those books are primarily written to preachers, uh, a lot for everybody to use, because mainly what it's about is what preachers owe the church, owe the congregation, what our obligation is. So that's important. Uh, he's going to mention several things. I am not going to take time much today, maybe in one place, to go over to the qualification of elders also in Titus. Lord willing, we get enough weeks, we'll get to Titus' account. And we'll see some of the qualifications that are listed in one, maybe aren't in the other. And, you know, I don't know any single verse of the Bible that teaches the entirety of the truth. So you got to put it all together. But as he writes to the church here, I want to remind us uh, that as you go back to chapter 1, uh, in verse 3, it says, I urge you upon my departure for Macedonia, remain on at Ephesus. So we know where Timothy's at, right? He's in Ephesus. And this is what he's supposed to teach in Ephesus. Now, I'm going to mention that because there's a lot of things said here. that I And I will take time to, in just a moment, turn to Acts 20 if you want to go over there. Because I want us to see something. And I will mention something here before I go there. But you can go ahead and turn to Acts 20. I'll mention verse 17 and then also verse 28 of Acts 20. Uh, but I want us to think about Ephesus. If you go back to chapter 18 of the book of Acts, you'll see that Paul goes and uh, converts people, and the church in Ephesus begins. Now, that's about 20 years after Pentecost, from Acts 2 to Acts 18, 20 years. Sometimes we don't realize how much time transpires. Okay, well, that's nothing, because there's better than 10 years, maybe closer to 12 or 15 years, that transpire from 18 to 20, Acts 18 to 20. There's a lot of time in there. Now that becomes important because it's about 10 years, and I'll make this point again for a reason, about 10 years after the church was established in Ephesus that Paul is writing this letter to the church in Ephesus. Time in between it isn't always so important, but it's going to become important in a minute, or in a few minutes anyway. Uh, but if you look at this in... 1 Timothy chapter 3 and verse 1, Dylan also uh, read the text from the Numeric Standard, but it says this is a trustworthy statement. I'm pretty sure all the statements in the Bible are trustworthy, but he's wanting to uh, make, if any man aspires, and we'll talk about that aspiration or desire in a minute, to the office of an overseer. Now, we don't use that term much anymore. In the religious arena, the other word that's translated from the Greek word here is bishop. Okay, overseer's a bishop. A bishop's an overseer. Comes from the same word. Now, the reason I say that, in Church of Christ, we don't even use the word bishop much, do we? Unless we're playing chess. So, uh, 
But it would be plenty fine and just fine to call him an overseer, a bishop. But I, I, the reason I want to turn to Acts 20, let me remind you, Timothy's in Ephesus. Now, in Acts 20, in verse 17, it says, From Miltus he sent to Ephesus and called to him the elders of the church. So by the time we get to Acts 20, are there elders in the church in Ephesus? Let me ask you this. When 1 Timothy's written, is there elders in the church in Ephesus yet? Not yet. Okay. So I want you to know he's going to write this to the elders of the church in Ephesus. So now he's calling them elders. I wonder if elders and bishops are the same since it says overseers are bishop. Well, let's, let's use the Bible to clarify what the Bible says. Jump down to verse 28 because we religiously a lot of these words are used incorrectly. Be on guard, it says in verse 28, for yourselves. That's the elders at Ephesus, right? Back up in verse 17. So he tells the elders, be on your guard for yourselves and for all the flock among which the Holy Spirit has made you overseers, bishops. Elders, bishops, same office, same position. They can be called elders. They can be called bishops. They can be called overseers. And he says the Holy Spirit made them overseers, not in any miraculous way, but by instruction of God's Word. He didn't stop there. Made you overseers to shepherd. That's the word for pastor. Shepherd, pastor. Usually in our day and age, we use the word wrong and we call the preacher in the religious world the pastor. No, the bishop, the elder, the pastor, all the same. The preacher, we might call him preacher, we might call him minister, might call him an evangelist, we might call him a doofus, whatever. But uh, he, he, now sometimes I've got good friends of mine, several of them, who also serve as the preacher and an elder. I'm good with that too if they serve in both those. Um, but so we look at that, but I, I just bring that up because I'm probably going to use the word elder more today just because I'm used to using that word more. So don't think I'm contradicting what's said in 1 Timothy because overseer, bishop, pastor, and elders all the same guy. The, the, the titles, if we want to use that word, apply to all of them, uh, all to the same one. So we look at this. I will mention, if you want to read a little bit further into qualification of elders, we'll get to it later, but you're... Homework assignment can be to read Titus chapter 1, verses 5 through 9 when he writes qualifications there. But here's what I want you to see. Now, in mine, it's underlined, so it does well. This works well in the numeric standard. There's a lot of musts and nots. If I say you must do this or you must be that, is there much room for um, interpretation? Must. What if I say you cannot... Do that. Not. Is that hard to understand what not means? Not K-N-O-T. Okay, we look at this. He says, the overseer, first it talks about aspire or desires. And a matter of fact, I'm not going to turn to it today. I'll never get through all this. Uh, but in 1 Peter chapter 5, verses 1 through 3, he talks about overseers or elders. And he says they're not to serve under compulsion. That means... Well, they'll twist your arm till you give in, you'll be an elder. No, if they don't really have a desire, if they're not really... Now, it's a huge responsibility, and I don't have time to talk about it, because they're going to answer. If you got an elder, eldership in a congregation, they answer for every soul in that congregation. 
But unless they aspire to that. Now, I want to say this, even when you get into this, so some men don't desire to do that. Well, then we don't need to deal with any of the qualifications with them, do we? If they don't have a desire to do that. Now, I'm not, some of them have a desire to do it, but they're still apprehensive. Okay, that's okay. I like to point out, let me say this, before we even look at some of the rest of it, because I need to say this, kind of clarify some things. If you take this qualification of elders, this is just the qualifications of a mature, godly, Christian man. Now, I know some of them, they're going to have to be married and have children. So not every man has to be married. Not every man has to be killed. But the all other qualifications is just strong, spiritual, male maturity in the New Testament. Okay? So let's understand what that is. Now, I like to point this out. And, and the men here have heard me say this, not only here, but even before. Uh, they've heard me say things like, you, you, the Bible asks us to be organized, to work to be organized, under the oversight of elders and also with deacons, right? But I want you to know that there's also, you can be biblically or scripturally organized without elders because you don't have men that qualify to be elders. So you can see that the church here in Ephesus is working and established for 10 years without any elders, okay? Some congregations way longer than that. Ephesus for sure 10 to 12 years. Okay, so it wasn't unscriptural for them to exist without elders. Matter of fact, it's 10 years later before Paul even gives them the instructions of how to become elders. Realize that. It's 10 years have transpired before they're even given the instruction of what it needs. So I think there's a lot of interesting things. But here's what I say in men's meetings. I hate them. Anyone knows me? I've said that plenty of times. I hate men's meetings. And... One reason that's kind of frightening to me is if we had men that were spiritually qualified as elders, we'd have men who were spiritually qualified to make decisions. So when you're making decisions without men who meet these qualifications, you're kind of making decisions that you're really not qualified to completely make. It's scary to me. I'm telling you, I don't know how much it scares other people, but it's scary to me. It has to be done, but we have to understand the seriousness of it. So he says, let's look at this. Verse 2, mine says, I'm going to just read through some things real quick. An overseer must, and then he's going to say what they must be. Verse 3 in the numeric standard says, you are not, the numeric standard is weak when it uses the word addicted to wine. Verse 4 says he must be. Verse 6 says, and he's not to be. And then he says he's not to become. And then verse 7 says he must have, and then he's not to fall into reproach. And then as he moves on into deacons, he says in verse 8, and we'll get to these, Lord willing, next week, must be and not to be certain things. In verse 10, must also, and then he even talks about wives or women of those men who must. And then again in verse 12, what deacons, there's, this is pretty cut and dry. These aren't well, I meet 80% of the qualifications. They don't work like that. Now, can you meet some of them to different levels? Let me just mention one. New convert or novice. Everyone in this room been a Christian the same amount of time? No. Hospitable. Even if everyone in here is hospitable, if we were to look, would it, would it be true that maybe one person might even be more hospitable than others? So some qualifications can be met to different extremes, 
but they still almost all be met. Okay, so an overseer then, he says, must be above reproach. Now, in other translations, just must be above reproach, above reproach, blameless, faultless. So it doesn't mean he never does anything wrong, but typically when you look at things, are they concerned with doing things right? And typically if you examine them, are they people who are living as God would have them to be? Yeah, they must be blameless. He also says above reproach. And then it says he must be the husband of one wife. Can he have two wives? He can't? Because it says one wife? Can he have no wives? I pretty much got figured out one wife because I had one for 43 plus years. One wife, okay? Uh, so that's it. He tells us he must have one wife. Now, it's interesting, and I, man, I get in some heat sometimes in our brotherhood over this because some of these qualifications, they want to say, well, as long as he met him when he was appointed, he doesn't have to continue to meet him. What? Where do you get this foolishness? So I can stop being hospitable? Get out of my house. I don't want you over here. You know, I can quit being dignified. I can quit being above reproach. I can just live wicked now. No, you got to be the husband of one wife. So uh, means if you lose your wife because she passes away, uh-oh, you're not the husband of one wife anymore, are you? There's a lot of things to look at. But it says, and I don't make it up, must be the husband of one wife. Um, he goes on and says, I think that's interesting, in the New American Standard, he uses both temperate and prudent. Temperate, prudent. I believe the King James, the New King James, used the word sober. Now, usually, we only use that sober as it applies to intoxication, usually, right? But sober means they're in control. They control themselves. Because when you drink a little booze, guess what? You're not in control anymore. You've lost certain faculties. Well, booze isn't the only thing that does that to people, right? People lose control over all kinds of things. So it says, no, one thing an elder is he's self-controlled. Uh-oh. He's sober. He's temperate. I always think temperance an interesting word because it takes me back to being in school and studying some things that happened in early uh, U.S. history. And one thing was called the temperance movement, which had to do with sobriety and whether alcohol was legal to sell in certain places. But it doesn't always have to apply to that. It can and does apply to that. But so we got to be prudent, sober, self-controlled, temperate. He also says you got to be uh, in this. Yeah, I'm just taking what right as it comes. Respectable, respectable. You ever met people that aren't too respectable? You know, I think about how. Now, see, I'm one of those people that think the respectable thing to do is say, "This is my upbringing." Yes, sir. Yes, ma'am. Open the door for, I just did it to Samantha today. She was holding the door. I said, here, I'll hold the door for you. I got to do that. She, I'm not going to be mean to Samantha. And I know she's an adult, but to me, she's a kid. Okay. <laughs> but she's a, she's a woman and I'm going to hold the door for her. Um, you know, you look at that because I see, I believe that's respectable. I believe that shows her respect. Therefore, it makes me appear respectable. I hope it isn't just an appearance. I hope that's really who I am. You know, I think about that. I'm one of them people. It's disrespect to me 
when I see people when they put the red, white, and blue in the air and people take a knee. To me, that appears disrespectful to many people. Therefore, as Christians, um, I don't want to come across as disrespectful. And as an elder, has to be respectable. He has to be of good behavior. You know how I like to tell people, now behave. You behave now. And people say, are you behaving? Yeah, I behave poorly. But then, no, you got to have good behavior. Good behavior. We've got to be people of good behavior, respectable. Then he uses the word hospitable. I think that's an interesting word. Because what the word literally means is generous to get guests. Generous to guests. So it means uh, you're going to take care of them before you take care of yourself. Another guy, I was reading a guy, and I like this word. It means when you're hospitable, you're welcoming. You know, that can be right here, whether we have someone come we don't know, whether we welcome them or not, make them feel comfortable, go out of our way to make them feel comfortable. Typically, what we do, uh, since we share a meal every Sunday here, typically what we do, you know what we let our guests or our visitors do? Go last, because we want to eat for... No. We try to be hospitable and let them go first and then make fun of how much food they got on their plates. No, not really. But we let them go first. And, and you even think about that, the idea of respectable. You know, ever since we've been here, and I'm sure Caleb's the one that took on himself, and I'm good with that. Uh, ladies go first. See, isn't it kind of funny how the hospitable and respectable kind of work hand? Uh, if you notice how all these qualifications it gives elders are overlapping, and if you're one, you can't hardly be one with also being the... And if you miss one, you're missing really more than one. And then he uses this one I think is interesting. My New American Standard says able to teach. I'm good with able to teach, but that's really not what the Greek word means. The better word, I know the King James used, I don't know what New King James, I didn't look today. But the King James says apt to teach. Apt is a better word than able, because apt means able and willing. There's people that are able to do a lot of things, but do a little bit of nothing. Okay? So that's not what he's talking about. He's apt. He's able and he's willing to get in there and do it. So he's able to teach it. Now, that doesn't necessarily mean he's going to be the best guy up in front of a crowd, does it? He might be really good on small group, one-on-one -on -one or something. But he also, when there's a need, he steps up and right. We've had to do that a little bit here, huh? Step out of our comfort zones a little bit and do things, guys, that maybe we weren't used to doing all the time. Well, that's being somewhat able, but real willing, okay? And so we think about that idea of apt. We must be. All those are things an elder must be. It starts off in verse 2, must be. Then we get to verse 3, which... Uh, kind of makes some transitions here. But the first thing it says is not addicted to wine. I believe the King James uses a better term, says not given to. Not given to wine. Not given to wine. You know, do me a favor on that one. I'm just going to turn to one passage real quick because people get a little kind of messed up. And, um, of course, when we're talking about wine here, we're talking about that which is intoxicating. So it says, the spiritually mature man, an elder, is not to be given to wine. Turn with me over to Proverbs chapter 20. Just one verse. We looked at it, I think, the other day, too. 
But Proverbs 20 and verse 1, listen to this. Wine is a mocker. What's it mock? It mocks the one drinking and mocks the Almighty. Do you think you want to participate in anything that's a mockery to God? Did God's Word just say this is a mocker? Is that a If I say to Dennis, Dennis, you're just a mocker, is that a, is that a compliment I just paid you? Not at all. Dennis says, what do you mean, kid? What are you talking about? Now, if we're just joking around, he's going to say, oh, okay. But if I'm serious, he's going to say, what, is your, what do you mean? He's going to want to know what I'm talking about. So it says, wine is a mocker, strong drink is a brawler. And listen to this, whoever's intoxicated by it is not wise. You ever been around somebody who obviously has had too much to drink? They're the epitome of wisdom in that situation, aren't they? I think not. They just, I don't know if they're dumb or dumber in that situation. But, you know, you look at that, it just gets crazy. People can't make a logical decision anymore. You know why? Because they've lost part of their faculties. Well, addicted, because we have a misunderstanding of the word addicted. Because um, addicted, as is translated here, the word, just means given to. So it means that's what they do. This isn't how much. If I have uh, one glass of wine every evening with my meal, I might not get to the blood alcohol level of 0.08 or 0.1 in this country, but... Um, if I drink a glass of wine every day, am I given to drinking? Yeah, I'm drinking every day. What if I just do it once a week? Well, I'm still, you know, so it isn't how much, it's are you consuming of it? Well, in this passage, it says men who are supposed to serve as elders, bishops, uh, pastors, uh, they are not given to wine. And then it says, and they're also not pugnacious. I like that word. Pugnacious. We don't use it much. For some reason, that always reminds me of my mom's little old dog because it was a pug. Pugnacious. I tell you what, it looks like them little old dogs always looking for a fight, don't they? Okay? Pugnacious. That is an interesting one because it means they're not a striker. Have you ever known men, whenever anything doesn't go that way, they're already, let's, let's just step outside. If you're that kind of man, can you be qualified to be an elder? No. I've been. I don't know. I mean, I'm not saying you couldn't get in a situation where you have to defend yourself or defend even someone else, and you might have to strike somebody, but that's not your idea of how you want to take care of things. So we look, he says, he's not pugnacious. Um, he's not a striker, and it means they're just ready to go to blows. I mean, every time, they're just, they're just ready to do it. Let's get it on. You see the clench your fist, and it, nah, man. Chill out. That's not how we need to take care of this. That's not spiritual. Now, let me take you back to something in the Old Testament. Do you remember a king named David? Do you remember how bad David wanted to build a temple to God? And God wouldn't let him build the temple. And matter of fact, he says, your son Solomon's going to build the temple. And why was that? Because David was a man of war. And God was not going to allow... God needed David to be a man of war. You look back, God, need, God needed David to walk down and put a whooping on Goliath. God needed David when other kings like Saul had killed his thousands and David killed his... I'm telling you, David was a fighting machine. But he says, that's not the man I need to build my temple. So we got to understand that. Spiritually mature men to lead the church do not need to be scrappers. 
do not need to be people who are ready to go at it. Do not need to be pugnacious. That would not meet the qualification. Then he goes on in the, uh, in the verse to come, even in this verse still, after he says those are some things you're not to be, but he also says, um, but he's to be gentle, peaceable, and free from the love of money. We'll kind of deal with the gentle and peaceable together because i got to move on through this. We won't get... It means he's not harsh. He's not quarrelsome. I remember one guy that was in a Bible class. He was in our congregation when I lived in Alaska. And no matter what you were talking about, he always took the other side. And he even said... Well, you know, I just like to be the devil's advocate. Well, you know, I can't leave stuff alone after a little while. I said, well, the last thing you should want to advocate is what the devil wants. And they didn't know what to do with me. But, you know, why would you want to advocate what he wants? But some people just like to argue. Well, it says we don't need spirits. Men who lead the church don't need to be people who want to argue all the time. Don't need to be that. He doesn't stop there, though. He also says um, he's going to be free. Well, let's make sure we get this exactly like it says. He's going to be free from the love of money. Hmm. Does 1 Corinthians 6 and verse 10 still say the love of money is a root of all evil? I'm pretty sure it still says that. Caleb even mentioned in his class this morning, a lot of religions in America today, it looks like all they're about is the money. I mean, they're trying to raise money from everybody in the world all the time. And, you know, you can look at that. I'm not going to mention any names. There's a televangelist in our area that owns his own TV station. And if you ever do a search on how much money he skims off the top for his own instead of giving to other people, you would be amazed. So you look at that. If we don't watch out, it's all about the money. You know, there's, I don't like this term. I hear it used all the time. I grew up with it being used. I don't use the term. Uh, you know, we just had announced there's going to be a men's meeting Tuesday night. I don't like it when people call it a men's business meeting. It might be true in that we're about the father's business, but you don't deal with the church and businesses. Business, Dairy Queen, you, you, you have a Dairy Queen to make money. The church's purpose is not to make money. It's to save souls. And so we can't lose what that is. So we can't be driven by the almighty dollar. And we can't do, show favoritism, like is mentioned in James, to someone who has money over someone who doesn't. So that's one of the qualifications he thought need to be listed. And then he goes on, and we'll have to go through this fast, but uh, verses 4 and 5, he talks about the home life of the elder. And it, it makes all the sense in the world. He says, he must be one who manages, I still like rules, since that's probably a better word, manages his own household well, rules his household well. He's in control. You remember what Joshua said in Joshua 24, 15? As for me and my house. Did he just make the rules? If you live under my roof, we're done, you don't like get out of my house. Because as for me and my house, we'll serve the Lord. Okay, so he talks about the household. Says he's going to keep his children under control with dignity, and Titus, well, we'll get to this here in a minute. Uh, even Titus chapter 1 even goes a little further where he will say he must have faithful, or some translations read believing children. It doesn't mean faithful to his parents. It doesn't believe he believes what his mama says. It means he's faithful to the Lord, and a believer in the New Testament is an obedient Christian. 
So he's got to be that because he goes on and says why this is so important. Uh, because, verse 5, if a man does not know how to manage his own household, how will he take care of the church of God? So he says, you look at the house. If the house doesn't produce Christ obedient Christians, then how is he going to be able to keep other people faithful to the Lord? That's, what, that's the reason the home life is so important. Look at And we've talked about before, who knows you best? People live in your house. They see you the most. And so he says you have to have that ground to be able to prove who you are. And then verse 6, and that's why I made the point early in the lesson, and not a new convert. Oh, I've had people say how long a person has to be a Christian before they've been an elder. I had one guy, he was solid on you got to be a Christian 20 years. I said, well, then why in the world did Paul write to Timothy to a congregation that's 10 years old? And tell them they have to be not new converts. Obviously, you could be a Christian 10 years and you were not a new convert because they didn't have any Christians there more than 10 years. Because that's how old the church was in Ephesus. So it's not this bigger lab. But aren't people crazy about that? Now, it, may, it tells us why. So we don't want to pick someone just brand new Christian that's not solid. I mean, it's going to take some time. So he doesn't give us a set time because people mature at different levels. But it's so he will not become conceited and fall into the condemnation. See, man, I've only been a Christian for three years, and I'm an elder, and this guy's been a Christian 30 years. He still can't cut it. Well, then you're not elder material in the first place with an attitude like that. So he says, but watch out, because if you... There's a book out, not the Bible, of course, but there's another book. Uh, I still have a copy of it. It's called The Peter Principle. I don't know if you know what that means, but it says if you give a person a time to rise, they'll always rise up a company to their level of incompetency. I mean, they might be the greatest worker in the world. You put them in management and you get them on up there and they fall apart. They're the greatest worker, but they're the most pitiful excuse of a manager. They rose to their level of incompetence. And if you push somebody too fast, does that happen more often? Oh yeah, so he says, we don't need a new convert. We don't need a novice. We need people who are mature and their stability is known and seen. And that can even be, let's say we have a family move into the area and strong Christian family. I mean, man meets all these qualifications. We're just around them for a week or two and we see they meet all these qualifications. Would it be wise to then, after they've been here a couple of weeks, to appoint them as an elder? No, because no one knows them yet. They got People have to have time to know them. They have to have time to prove. And you know what? Some people put on the dog pretty good for a couple months. But time will tell. Time will tell. One more thing here on this one, but, and then I'll jump to a couple other passages, and it's yours. Uh, the seventh verse says, Must have a good reputation to those outside the church so that he will not fall into reproach stare of the devil. So, I mean, he can't be a businessman that everyone in the community thinks, man, all that guy, that guy cheats and does everything else. No, he has to have a good reputation even to those who are outside. I'll tell you a good verse on that. Turn with me over to Colossians. We'll just look at two passages after this, and the lesson will be yours. Uh, Colossians chapter 4. Um, go verse 5. Conduct yourself with wisdom towards outsiders, making the most of the opportunity. Let your speech always be with grace, as though seasoned with salt, so that you will know how you should respond to each person. Do we have to think about how we deal with people in the church and out of the church? It isn't like we just put on the jacket and tie and put on the dog when we come in here and we're 
Holy Joe while we're here. But out there, we're Devil Dan. No, it don't work like that. We've got to know who we are. Two verses, real, two, two, two passages real quick. When you think about that idea of maturity and how everyone always needs to grow to be mature, and I tell this all the time, if you're a man, if you're a young man, you need to look at these verses often. If you're not married, of course, you can't be the husband of one wife. If you don't have children, obviously you can't have believing children, but the rest of those qualifications you need to work to meet. And one day, if you're married, you need to meet that one. And one day, if you have children, you need to meet that one. But we see that importance. But growth is so important, and God never expected anyone to become a Christian and then be stagnant. Ephesians chapter 4, I'm going to read 13, 14, 15. I'm going to make a quick comment, then I'm turning to 1 Timothy 4, and we'll have the invitation song. Ephesians 4, 13. Until we all attain the unity of the faith and the knowledge of the Son of God to a mature man, to the measure of the stature which belongs to the fullness of Christ. Woo! As a result, we are no longer to be children tossed here and there by waves and carried about by every wind of doctrine, by the trickery of men, and by the craftiness of deceitful scheming. If you're a mature Christian, those things don't do that to you. But speaking the truth in love, some people don't get squandered, but they're meaner than the devil the way they talk to people. But speaking the truth in love, we are growing up in all aspects into him who is the head, even Christ. So you know what? We try to be more like Jesus every day. And when we're not, we beg for forgiveness. One last passage. Turn back to 1 Timothy. This time... We'll get to it later also. But verse 16 of chapter 4, 1 Timothy 4, 16. Pay close attention to yourself. Should everyone do that? We're going to partake the Lord's Supper here in a little while. Are you to examine everybody else in the room? Or are you to examine yourself? So pay close attention to yourself, he tells Timothy, and to your teaching. And persevere in these things. For as you do this, you ensure salvation both for yourself and for those who hear you. Hmm. Maturity in Christ keeps you on the path of salvation and helps others find the path of salvation. If you're here today and you're not a Christian, you can become one by confessing faith in Jesus, Son of God, repenting and being baptized for the forgiveness of your sins. If you need to do that, we want to encourage you to do that today. If you are a Christian, you say, you know what? I've not hardly been any of the things you talked about today. Maybe it's time to recommit. Maybe it's time to ask for prayers so that you can be stronger. Maybe someone has sin to confess and repent of. If we can help you, please come as we stand and sing.